Board Game Blitz, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, and a podcast about all things board games that you can listen to in less time than it takes to take on a whole new persona. Board Game Blitz is sponsored by Gray Fox Games. This week, we're talking about board games that encourage role-playing. First, we discuss a couple games we've played recently, like Dispatch and Rising 5 Runes of Asteros. Then, we talk about how certain board games encourage players to role-play, as well as some games that are just fun to role-play, even if the role-playing isn't explicitly part of the game. Finally, we wrap things up with a look at the etymology of the word character. And now, here are your hosts, Ambi and me, Crystal. In the month of April, I actually didn't play any games other than The Mind, which I've already talked about. <laughs> so because you were so busy having a wonderful <laughs> adventure through Japan. Yeah. I have some vlogs released on YouTube if you want to see more about that. They're really but, cool. <laughs> but yeah, I have played this uh, board game adjacent thing called Dispatch by Breakout. And what it is, is it's a subscription model a mystery murder mystery game where they send you each month a box of stuff it has physical things like newspaper clippings decoder coins and letters and it looks like real stuff like one of the things was a napkin with scribbles on it and you can also go online and search different things so some of the things that they send you have websites mentioned or you can google things and it's all connected together and you're trying to solve this uh, murder. I think the storyline is that your friend got married to this rich heiress and then she was killed on the honeymoon and the cops think that it's your friend but it's not and so you're trying to figure out what actually happened. So it's it's not super structured. It's kind of similar to a puzzle story escape room game but it's not as structured and it's a lot more reading and story based. So the like the first box, there was a journal and I read through all of that, a lot of newspaper things, and you're reading online, looking through a lot of stuff. So you feel more like a detective where you don't really know if you've gotten the answer yet. And it's very open-ended, which I don't like as much because I like more puzzles. And each box has only had like one or two puzzles so far. And I've done three boxes. Another thing is I've been going through the game by myself which isn't that exciting compared to sharing the experience with someone else. I wanted to do it with Toby, but then he's been busy with other things and he doesn't really want to, he doesn't like the whole online and physical aspect because he wants it just to be physical when he's doing a board game. Well, our friends over at the uh, Inside Voices Network have been doing it together kind of online, right? Yeah, I was was just going to say that. So that is the reason I've been having fun is because other people in the Inside Voices community, which is how I heard about it, they have a Facebook group where we're talking about it. But I think I'm one of the first people to get it because like, I, I've finished the box and then the spoiler thread for that box shows up like after that. So I think I'm going to might slow down or something. But yeah, so everyone's getting their own box and doing it, which is also kind of expensive, which is another reason I'm not sure I enjoy this as much because each box costs twenty five dollars, oh, and geez. and the whole they don't tell you how many boxes there are in the whole game because it's an ongoing subscription model, and then until you're done, I think there's seven in this one from things I've read, which would be one hundred seventy five dollars total for the Oof. whole experience. 
that is that is some money <laughs> yeah like I got a Groupon for the first two boxes and I got some coupon codes which like knocked off some money but it's still pretty expensive and I don't really like the whole subscription idea but subscription there... boxes were such a like cool concept that I've found often are more disappointing than not when you end up getting yeah. them yeah, so I want to finish up this one just because it's a sunk cost at this point. Like, <laughs> I'm already more than halfway through, and uh, but we board but, gamers are not know. always known for our logic. <laughs> yeah, my coworker is also doing it, so maybe like I can split the cost with him, and we can just one of us stops and then gives the box to the other person when we're done with it. But I don't want to do any more of these. And that's Dispatch by Breakout. There's also another company starting up called the Enigma Emporium. They gave me a review copy of a similar idea with a mixture of physical and online things. But they're not doing subscription. It's just an upfront cost, which I like better because then I'll know how much the experience costs when I'm paying for it. Yeah, that's definitely good. Well, cool. So my recently played segment has to have a small disclosure at the beginning of it. So our wonderful sponsor, Gray Fox Games, uh, sent me a copy of one of their most recent releases for free. And they did not, this anytime that they send us a game, they very specifically don't have any caveats attached to that. So I'm not required to talk about it on the show. I'm not required to write up anything about it. Um, there's no caveats, but I have chosen to talk about it because I like it so much. And I want to so, hear about it. <laughs> the game I'm talking about is Rising 5, Runes of Asteros. Um, so there's a bunch of publishers listed on BGG. This was originally published in Europe, and then Gray Fox is the one that's uh, publishing it here in the U.S. It was released in the U.S. in 2018, but it came out in Europe previously. Uh, it was designed by Gary Kim and Evan Song, and the art is by Vincent Dutrait. So Rising 5 is a cooperative deduction game. And I should be clear that that is just pure deduction, not social deduction. We've talked about social deduction games in the past. This is not that. This is just deduction. Uh, if any of you listening ever played the game Mastermind as a kid, which I played a lot of with my sister, so I was familiar with it, this game has a logic puzzle in it that is very similar to the puzzle that exists in the game Mastermind. So in uh, Rising 5, you do not actually, the uh, players don't take on the roles of individual characters. There are five characters, but any player can control any character on their turn. Uh, all players have a hand of cards, and on your turn, you choose a number of cards to play that all contain the, the same character on them. And the number of cards you play determines how many actions that you're going to get during your turn. The board is fairly simple. There's only a few different spots the characters can move to. And on those spots, there will be cards next to them from three different decks that keep coming out. And the, the decks contain enemies, encounters that you can have that will get you special items, and other things that will, will give you special powers and abilities. What you're eventually trying to do is use the characters and their special abilities, which will trigger every time you activate a character, to determine a puzzle that will help you close this gate where all this bad stuff is trying to come through into your world. And the gate is four runes of different colors with different symbols on them. At the very beginning of the game, I should have even said this, I'm way behind in saying this is an app-driven game, which is one of the coolest aspects of it. You can actually play it without an app. 
but it, I've never done that. So I'm just going to talk about the app because it's pretty easy to use and it's free to download. So at the beginning of the game, you set up four runes randomly and then scan them with the app and it generates your puzzle based on what runes you chose. And it acts like Mastermind in that you will immediately know if any of the runes are the correct color and in the right place in their uh, layout of four, or if they're just, if they're the correct color in the wrong place in the layout, or if they don't belong in the puzzle at all. But what's interesting is the runes are associated with astrological signs, and you don't know what astrological sign goes with what rune at the beginning so you know that you have something right in the right place but you don't know which one and so it's like mastermind in that way um and you use the character's special abilities to both manipulate the runes there's seven or eight different colors that are possible so you only have four of them obviously in the puzzle at any given time and you have to collect resources to be able to rescan the puzzle so you can't just scan it anytime you want to see if you've manipulated it the right way you have to do other things on the board to get the resources needed to scan the puzzle again to see if you can close the gate it's interesting and it's kind of hard to describe but the game itself is actually really simple once you get into it and it's not that hard to play or to learn from the rule book because I learned it from the rule book itself and had a pretty easy time with it. I really like it. I think that this might actually be my new favorite gateway cooperative game. And there are a lot of cooperative games that I think are pretty good as gateway games, but this one is actually even more simple than stuff like Pandemic, I think, because there's less moving parts in this. Oh, and there's a, so there's a mechanism in the game whereby there's a red moon track and when bad things happen or you lose fights, the red moon goes down. If it ever hits the bottom of the track, you lose the game. And there are cards in the deck that will trigger red moon events that make the track go down way faster if you're not managing the deck well. So you have to choose whether to draw a lot of cards to give yourself more options or to draw less cards to help the deck last longer. Because obviously once the deck runs out, you're out of stuff to use. So you lose the game for that as well. How many players did you play it at? So it can go up to five players, but I've played it with four both times. Mm -hmm. And I liked it with four. I think it would also be good with three. I've heard that with five, it's harder potentially. Uh Uh, But I don't, it's not really... I don't know. And you can also play it with as little as two. And I think you could actually play it solo as well. And then you have a dummy hand because um, players mm. can help each other on each other's turns. So okay. I've uh, I've done a poor job of explaining it. But <laughs> I, if you like logic puzzle type things or if you liked Mastermind as a kid, I think that this is a, a great one to play or possibly buy because it's awesome. So yeah. shout out to Gray Fox. You <laughs> sent me a good one and I'm very happy with it. Yeah, I really want to try this one because I love cooperative games and I love deduction and I like Mastermind. Um, yeah, it's, The only thing it's, it's missing is real time, right? Basically, yeah, there's <laughs> nothing real time in it. It is it's simple. Like I think we, we've played it twice and I think cooperative games are intended to be pretty difficult. And admittedly, we played on the easy setting, which is only mm-hmm. three of the red moon cards in the deck instead of four or five. But we won oh, okay. both times. Uh-huh. So... I, I'm not sure how the difficulty scales because we haven't gone higher than that yet, but I, we've won by like the skin of our teeth both mm-hmm. times. So I feel mm. like it's probably balanced pretty well in that regard and that as we get better at it, we could add in more red moon cards and hopefully survive, <laughs> but I don't know. <laughs> okay, that's neat.
For our thematic discussion this week, we wanted to touch on something that we really haven't touched on much uh, in any of our episodes in the past. Well, maybe a tiny bit, but we wanted to talk about role-playing, but not necessarily role-playing games like Dungeons and Dragons, but role-playing within the context of board games. And I will admit, I was actually inspired to come up with this topic because I have been playing a lot of actual role-playing games (laughs) recently. And honestly, that might be something that I would be willing to discuss uh, either in a live stream or in an upcoming episode at some point, if anyone is interested. Uh, I have two D&D campaigns and a Star Trek Adventures campaign that I'm in now, wow. and I'd be willing to discuss those. But since we're in a, this is a board game podcast, I didn't want to kind of dive into those too heavily. But if that's something that interests you, let us know. <laughs> For now, we're just going to talk about board games that either blatantly encourage role-playing or just lend themselves to it naturally. Which I think is interesting, and I think that this is definitely a, uh, a sub-genre of board games that's become more popular mm-hmm. in recent years, I, at least in, from my point of view. Yeah, there are, there are a lot of games that are like more storytelling games now, that have like role-playing aspects. But even in games that don't have that, I find that I've done some sort of role-playing, like in Twilight Imperium 3... I would read the backstory of my character race and then like justify my actions by talking about their backstory. Like, oh, this is why I want to go to Mechatol Rex to... I, I forget now, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that's a good point because I think it, that actually could be a thing that could help players who are struggling to make decisions within a game mm-hmm. is rather than making the decisions as yourself, try and literally make the decisions as your character or your race yeah. or your class or whatever it is. Yeah, we do the same thing in Arkham or Eldritch Horror. I guess fantasy flight games, <laughs> where you have characters with backstories. Fantasy yeah. flight does do a really good job with uh, creating content that exists around yeah. their characters mm-hmm. to kind of flesh them out a little more. Yeah, so I always like reading the backstories and flavor texts of cards and stuff, so I know a little bit more about why my character is acting the way they are. That's cool. I've, I've definitely injected role-playing into some games where it isn't explicitly mm-hmm. part of the game. I think I've actually mentioned this in a previous episode, but uh, Sheriff of Nottingham is one of my best examples of that. So whenever I'm the sheriff, and I try and make sure... It's funny, I don't usually care if I go first in a game, but whenever I'm playing <laughs> Sheriff of Nottingham with new players, I try and make sure that I'm kind of one of the first sheriffs because I mm-hmm. kind of like to set the tone for the game. Mm-hmm. And again, I think I've discussed all of this before. So apologies if I'm repeating myself, <laughs> people who have been loyal listeners. But like, I'll kind of like make it, I'll, I'll act like everybody's doing the wrong thing, but in a nice way. So like when they all slide their bags over with all the goods in them and there's no money on the bags, like as bribes, I will like get fake upset with everybody. And I'll be like, what? Like, you don't respect my position as the sheriff. Like, I don't see any money on any of these bags. And it's funny because people are kind of like a little bit like, oh, oh, no, did I did I do something wrong? And then they quickly realize that, like, obviously it's within the context of the game. But I think it helps people kind of open up to that game. And it makes it more than a game because you can play Sheriff of Nottingham like a very straight game if you Mm -hmm. want. But I think the fun of that game comes when you kind of get into the characters a little bit more. And the sheriff yeah. is really the only character I've ever gotten into, but it's enough to like glue that game into <laughs> an interesting story. Yeah, I think I've only played that game once or twice, but 
I was also kind of role playing. I well, in the goods that I was gathering, I was like, "Oh yeah, I'm I'm a bread maker. I'm getting all this bread or something." So I was like only going towards that. <laughs> I think I've done the same thing, and then I'll be like, "Oh wait, but you know what goes really good with bread? Yeah. Cheese. Yeah, so then I'll get some cheese." <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I've done that in other games too. I think a good example would be Pursuit of Happiness or CV, mm. which are kind of like life simulator games so i actually just played cv this week with my Mm. board game group Mm -hmm. and right near the beginning of the game so the very first card that i got was uh i got my character got married and so i was like i haven't accomplished anything else in life but i've been married it's great everything's (laughs) great they were all laughing then a thing happened i got misfortune which makes you discard a card so in the same round, I lost my only card, which was my marriage card, but then I got my, um, uh, my master's degree. So like, I was, I was like, oh man, I was like, I was married, I was happy, but then I put too much work into my master's and now my husband's gone and oh no, and everybody was laughing. And it's funny because if I hadn't been like looking at it that way, it actually would have been, I probably would have been pretty bummed because I got some really bad luck early in the game and it put mm-hmm. me way behind everybody else, but I took it and ran with it in a funny way and it made it more enjoyable for me and for the other players I think because they were all like oh man that sucks like you've already got misfortune but it worked out well in pursuit of happiness I always do the same thing I construct a story around whatever items I'm acquiring and whatever like activities I'm doing in the game yeah I, I played Pursuit of Happiness once, I think, with you. Yep, at, uh, at yeah. BlitzCon the first year. Yeah, my character was very into collections, I think. <laughs> yeah, you were got, collecting, like, a bunch I, of I, w- I was collecting collections. <laughs> <laughs> That's, like, next-level collector. Yeah. yeah. You have a collection of collections. Yeah. Um, so I recently have been playing uh, Legacy of Dragonhold, mm. and I haven't finished it yet, which is why you guys haven't heard me discuss it in Recently Played. But uh, spoiler alert, you probably will soon, because <laughs> it is lovely. And even though I've been playing it solo, I've been controlling two characters, and I've tried to kind of get to know the characters. Like, I created some interesting backstory for both of them. And whenever I have to make a decision as one character, I really try and think of how would this character make that decision. And when I try and make a decision as the other character, who's like, I made their personalities pretty different. So it's interesting because whichever one's driving the story determines what decisions I make. And admittedly, I've been doing very poorly, I think, (laughs) at the story, but I don't even care because that's not what that game is about. It's not about winning. Mm. It's about having an experience. And that I am doing. Yeah, that sounds fun. I've also been wanting to try Fog of Love, which is the uh, supposed rom-com in a box game. And I think that the role-playing aspect of that one will probably be very enjoyable as well. But since I haven't played it yet, I can't really speak to it. But I'm actually considering asking my friend Elissa if she'd be willing to live stream that game on the Blitz channel with me. Because she and I are very much in sync uh, the way we think, and we really liked playing, and then we held hands, which I discussed in a recent episode. So I think Fog of Love is an obvious next step for us. So <laughs> hopefully she'll be uh, interested in doing that with me. Yeah, Toby and I played Fog of Love, the tutorial scenario at uh, BGG Con last year. Yeah, it's very different. It's interesting, the R- RPG aspect. There's like role-playing, but then there's also like ma- making choices and putting tokens down on the board. But you're role-playing with your character and they have specific traits that are your character's traits and the other person doesn't know them, even though they're in a relationship with them. 
It's kind of weird, but I, I guess you eventually get to know the person based on how they're acting. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I've seen, I've watched a couple video reviews, uh, Shut Up and Sit Down recently put out a video review of it, and theirs was really good, mm-hmm. and it just made me want to play it more. <laughs> yeah. So why do you think board games are often incorporating more story and role-playing elements into them, or why... It feels like gamers are injecting more role-playing into their board games in recent years, at least from our point of view. Uh, I think, like, storytelling and role-playing can add theme to a game, which uh, helps the immersion. So when you're playing a game, you want to be immersed in the game, and having some role-playing or acting like the character, it it helps with that. So that that can be fun. I think so. And I... I think it's nice because I think a lot of board gamers, and I'm going to include myself in this statement, got into the hobby without having played role-playing games. And I believe that the converse is actually true as well. I think a lot of current modern board gamers started with RPGs earlier in life and have moved to board games. But a lot of people are also like me in that they never played role-playing games. They just played board games, but they were interested in the idea of role-playing games. Mm -hmm. And I think some of the games that we've discussed, uh, like, you know, Pursuit of Happiness or uh, Sheriff of Nottingham kind of help allow people to have that little bit of creativity, but it doesn't have all of the pressure that some typical RPGs can have. Because an RPG is so unstructured that I think some people Mm -hmm. are scared to dive in because they're like, oh no, I'm not creative enough or I'm not clever enough. And you don't really have to be creative or clever or anything yeah. to play a role-playing game, but it feels like you do at times. And it can't, those, you know, those can benefit from people who are quick on their feet, but honestly, it's more about the experience. Mm-hmm. So I think some of these board games can kind of be a stepping stone to role-playing games for hobby gamers. And I think it That's was true. for me, like I, it made me want to play role-playing games more and now I am. So <laughs> yeah. So I, I actually played Dungeons and Dragons with my family when I was very young so I guess I don't have as much, I'm not like as afraid of RPGs because I grew up doing it. And I, I mean, I was a little kid and just very little kid. Like, I'm like, oh, I want to break down that door. Because I was a barbarian. <laughs> and so, so it's like not very creative at all, but just like simple. And I had a lot of fun. So yeah, you don't have to be like super witty or creative or anything to play. You just... It, just do what is fun for you. I think, I bet you were more creative than you give yourself credit for though. (laughs) Because I think that's actually an interesting way that you could teach kids like problem solving skills. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because I think even, I I didn't play role-playing games as a kid, but I imagine that if you presented a kid with a similar scenario multiple times, like, oh, we walk up to a building, for instance, kind of like yours, Mm-hmm. Is the kid always going to say, okay, I break down the door? Or will at a certain point the kid go, maybe I want to try something different? And it kind of naturally leads them to making more interesting decisions, which, hmm. you know, is yeah. creativity. That's what it is, <laughs> making a different decision. So yeah. So do you think if there's any people out there who are interested in role-playing games but are kind of hesitant to get into them, do you think that some of these board games are actually a good first step? if they want something that's a little more approachable? Probably. I'd say any board game where you have a character can be a first step because you don't have to role play 
and you can just try to experiment a little bit of role playing, like just getting into character. So like the like with Arkham and Eldritch Horror is what I was saying. You get a character, and you don't really have to role play because there's game mechanics there that are very structured. But you can like as you're making your action, be like, oh, I'm doing this because my character is like this. So there there's some room for practicing i guess and i think that you actually reminded me of a really good note on this is some people when i when you use the word term role playing i think Mm -hmm. some people kind of immediately go to like speaking as another character but in Mm -hmm. the context of a board game you don't necessarily have to talk like another person or you know speak differently than you normally would you can just choose to make decisions like your character would and that's Mm -hmm. role playing too Mm -hmm. you're role playing as that character like uh, yeah i've played elder chora before and i think i was the orphan or something or the urchin is it uh, I don't. I don't think, I think I've ever been that character, so I don't know. I think her name is Wendy. Somebody okay. can correct us online, if or maybe nobody cares. But um, and like I think I was given a decision, and I made the decision to like steal something, which me as a person would never do. But like, <laughs> oh, I'm the urchin. I've got no money. I'm poor. I'm you know living on the streets, and so yeah. I decided to do it, and it felt good. Even though that decision would normally feel bad for me. So role-playing allows me to step outside of myself Mm -hmm. and experience things that I normally don't get to, which is kind of neat. Yeah. So if you want to, you know, not be yourself for a little while, (laughs) role-playing is a great way to do it. You can also make a character that's like yourself if you want. Totally true. For this week's etymology segment, we're going to dive into the history of the word character. The English word character originated in the 14th century, but was spelled differently at the time. It was spelled C-A-R-E-C-T-E-R. Its definition at the time was a symbol marked or branded on the body, and later a symbol or drawing used in sorcery. That definition then also later evolved to an alphabetic letter or graphic symbol standing for a sound or syllable. It can be traced back through the old French word character, which is spelled a little differently also, which was derived from the Latin word character. Interestingly enough, while the French word was spelled differently, the Latin word is spelled the same as the modern spelling. We're going to get back to that here in a minute. Then it also can be traced back through the Greek character, spelled entirely different from the other ones. And that came from these other Greek words, karasin, meaning to engrave, and karax, meaning pointed stake. So the ch spelling from the original Latin word was restored back to the English version of the word in the 1500s. The definition of a word meaning a person in a play or novel originated in the 1660s, while the meaning of a person in an abstract sense didn't actually come around until 1749. That one meaning like, oh yeah, he's a real character. So the next time you want to take on a persona that isn't quite your own, hopefully knowing the origins of the word character will help you out a little bit. And that's it for this week's Board Game Blitz. Visit our website, boardgameblitz.com, for video and blog content, as well as to get links to all our social media pages, including our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Board Game Geek Guild. This episode was sponsored by Gray Fox Games. Did the game Crystal discussed at the beginning of the episode sound interesting to you? You're in luck! Rising 5 is available now at your friendly local game store and at grayfoxgames.com. Gray Fox Games, quality games, cleverly crafted. 
If you're enjoying the podcast and want to show us a little love, you can become a patron for as little as $1 a month. Just head to patreon.com slash boardgameblitz. Our patrons get a lot of benefits, including access to our private Slack channel where you can chat with us directly anytime. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Morrow. Technical support provided by Toby Mao. Board Game Blitz is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Check out the other shows in the network by visiting dicetowernetwork.com. Until next time, we could have played it all. Role-playing is so deep. You had my die inside of your hands, and you rolled it for a feat. Bye, everyone. Bye. So when you're playing a game, you want to be, like, <laughs> immersed. Immersed? Yeah. Immersed. That's the word. Okay. <laughs> so, I don't usually say and me anymore, but I did this time, so whatever. <laughs> I guess it was like, I literally, I realized it before I said it, but my mouth was forming the words without <laughs> it, because it just, like, out of habit. <laughs> So, Ambie, we had some people that enjoyed our little post-credits thing that we did in a recent episode. Uh, and also, I will admit, I have enjoyed listening to the post-credits things that Mandy and Suze are doing <laughs> over on their episodes of the Dice Tower podcast. So, mm-hmm. we are going to do a little bit of that. Uh, Chip Beauvais, who runs the Twitter account A Little Alliteration, has given us permission to use some of his board game-based puzzles here in the show, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So... <laughs> What, uh, I guess, should I give an example so people know what we're yeah. talking about? Yeah. So in all of these, we're going to give you all a clue. And the solution to the puzzle is going to be three words that all start with the same letter. So for instance, uh, Ambie, if I told you to retheme a stained glass window building game for wise people in baggy clothes, what would the solution to that puzzle be? It would be Saggy Sage Sagrada. Aha! Okay, so we're going to be retheming board <laughs> games using these uh, these puzzles. Hopefully that makes enough sense. If not, maybe you'll get it after our next one. So we're going to give you the prompt here, and we're not going to give you the answer until the next episode, but feel free to tweet us at, on Twitter or post in our Board Game Geek Guild if you think you know the answer. Maybe, yeah, in the thread for this episode would be good, probably. But uh, maybe post it with a spoiler tag just in case people <laughs> see it early. I don't know. So the clue for this week is... You're going to be retheming a Matt Leacock co-op game for frantic black and white animals. So you guys tell us what you think that game is and we'll, you'll find out if you're right in the next episode.